in this edition of Hoopsology, we first welcome Indiana Pacers silent reporter Pat Boylan. He discusses how the Pacers are handling life without Victor Oladipo and their playoff push for the second half of the season. Then Matt presents his weekly topics, our thoughts on the All-Star starters, Draymond Green's rant and ejection, and DeMarcus Cousins possibly getting traded. And now, Pat Boylan. We now have the pleasure in welcoming the Indiana Pacers radio host and sideline reporter. He is also the um, post-game um, locker room reporter for FS1 and also the play-by-play voice of the WNBA's Indiana Fever, as well as the host of the Sideline Guys podcast. We welcome Pat Boylan onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Pat? Hey, guys. Appreciate you having me. Sorry for having such a long title and making you, through, uh, making you rattle through all of that, but uh, thanks for the time <laughs> here. It's good to chat with you. No problem at all. So, Pat, um, let's get started. And we wanted to talk to you about the, the Pacers because it's a team, just in full honesty, that I think doesn't get a lot of attention that should. And I just want to ask you just with a, just a general question, how has the Indiana Pacers really felt going through this season, through all the canceled games, um, just through the, you know the trade through with Victor Oladipo? How has the team held up so far as we approach the All-Star break in a couple of weeks? Yeah, there's certainly been many unique dynamics to this season um, that have added to, I think, um, you know, just more turbulence than a typical year might have. Some of those you went in expecting and other teams are, too. Um, The COVID issues, for example. Now, the Pacers have been fortunate that they've stayed away from their own COVID related issues. As far as I know, they've had none of them. But um, we had a game canceled earlier in the year at Phoenix and uh, overall, we're doing pretty good in terms of avoiding cancellations, and then we hit a couple back-to-back here. One with um, the game in Houston, that having to do with the weather issues going on in Texas, and then we had the Spurs on uh, the following Monday coming up here that was canceled because they had some COVID issues um, within the Spurs organization. So all of a sudden, we kind of have been hit hard here. The Pacers are going to go a week without playing from one Wednesday to the next Wednesday without playing. They're far from the first team uh, to have this situation play out. Um, But considering it hasn't happened to us in our organization yet, it's kind of the first time where you've had an extended stretch of play. You also noted the Victor Oladipo trade. Um, You know, I think it's a trade that the front office makes 10 times out of 10 if they get the opportunity, even knowing that Karis LeVert um, is not readily available. And clearly a trade like that was, you know, massive for Karis' health and well-being. But it still goes to show that this is a trade that the franchise likes bigger picture. In the short term, you've traded a 20-point-per-game score um, for nothing right now until you get Levert back. So that obviously poses a lot of challenges. And because of that, it's kind of been a year when you add a a new coach as well. There's some adjustments to that. It's kind of been a year so far of one step forward, one step back. Um, But as Pacers fans know well, they've had poor injury timing the last couple of years and haven't been at their best come playoff time. So I think they would gladly trade, you know, a, a 500 or so first 29, 30 games. If it means they're going to get guys healthy and can hopefully um, be playing with their full allotment of players come playoff time. And how do you think the team is feeling morale wise? Because you had Doug McDermott on your podcast recently and he mentioned that, you know, as you mentioned also, a lot, a lot of the key players have been hurt this season, but yet you guys are fifth in the West and looking, I mean, excuse me, fifth in the East, I apologize. And looking at the, the standings, like, you know, the powerhouse teams of the Bucks, Nets, and 76ers, that's not like the records are incredible. I mean, there's a lot of room to move up in the standings here. Is there a level of optimism that this 
despite you know being one game above 500 that still that the Pacers can really make some moves after the all-star break if things break their way yeah I think so and I think you've kind of hit on an important point there that I'm not sure is getting enough attention which is just the fact that uh, what's happening in the east to me really isn't all that surprising I thought you'd see more of this just due to COVID um, it's tougher to put together long winning streaks the home court advantage is not as significant out west you have seen some of the top teams start to separate but it's yeah. fascinating. Right around this point last year, the Pacers were, I believe, 19 and 10, and they were in sixth. And this team is only a game over 500, but they're in fifth. So a lot of the teams that were around them last year, um, including the Pacers, were off to better starts. Um, there's just been a lot more uncontrollable aspects that have happened, I think, to a lot of these teams. Milwaukee's undergoing a lot of change. Um, you know, the Sixers have played well. Uh, Miami has had a tough start. You look at everything that Toronto is trying to deal with, not even playing in the same country uh, that they're in. Boston has dealt with a lot of injuries, and they're still trying to get things figured out. And so I think because of that, my only worry from a Pacers perspective was you can't dig yourself too deep of a hole here. Without Levert, without Warren, you're not going to be the type of team that you hopefully will be at the end of the year. But you have to avoid digging yourself into a deep hole so that way when you hopefully get these guys back, um, you're not into uh, you know too big of an uphill climb to get out of before the end of the season. So um, while I do feel like this group feels like they can be and should be better than one game over 500 and that they'll get there, um, the good news of all of this is it's not like they're out of position for any of their goals by any means. And hopefully if, if Indiana, who has won three of their last four, I'm not sure if momentum carries over a whole week that they're going to have off here. But if they can kind of get things back on track and, and win just a few more than they lose, once they hopefully get those guys back, I think they're um, pretty well primed to strike and to, and to hopefully finish um, in, in one of those top four positions. Pat, can you give us kind of, uh, you know, just piggybacking off of what you were just saying there. I mean, in, in your opinion, as someone who is team, I mean, what do you get the sense is of what is this team ceiling and floor? Cause I mean, I could see the Pacers with the continuity on the team. And um, if they're able to get some pieces back, you know, maybe they're a team like, the Miami Heat of last year that can make, I, I don't know about getting out of the East, but maybe a deep playoff push unexpectedly so because of the continuity. Uh, what do you see as their potential ceiling or floor this year? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating question because on one hand, you started the year by bringing a group back that was almost entirely the same group you had the year before. The Pacers made very little offseason movement, but they changed a coach, um, which has, you know, its challenges. And I still think, you know, they're, there's still aspects that you're trying to still get used to, even though you've been around each other for a couple months, even though the system is in place. Um, this is, you know, kind of a slow build when you bring in a new coach. And, and so I think um, some of that has led to the 500 or so start. I think how they're currently constructed right now, like if they weren't getting Levert and Warren, which they hopefully will get those two guys back, and it sounds like perhaps Levert even sooner rather than later, I think you would say, look, you've got a you've got an all-star in Sabonis, a borderline all-star type player in Brogdon, some decent players around them. Uh, if things tip your direction, you could make life hard for an opponent in the first round and maybe even snatch a playoff series if everything goes right. But I think what makes things interesting is the, the Karis Levert and TJ Warren angle of when you get those guys back. Look, the Pacers don't have a Giannis. Um, they don't have a guy who's playing at the level of Joel Embiid right now. 
Um, and, and maybe not even somebody like Jason Tatum right now. But I'm not sure there's another team that one through five, especially in the Eastern Conference, that one through five potentially has as much high-level depth as the Pacers would have in that scenario. I mean, you've got you'd be you'd be running a lineup out there that has Malcolm Brogdon uh, and Karis LeVert and T.J. Warren, Miles Turner, Demontis Sabonis. You've got four 20-point-per-game scores in there, and a guy who's a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. And then what that, of course, also does is it puts these guys like Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday, um, Aaron Holiday a little bit, T.J. McConnell. Uh, guys who Jeremy Lamb certainly guys who have been starting and making you know appearances in the starting lineup they all then get to come off the bench and you get to utilize guys like that more or um, your bench becomes better when this happens as well so I I think their ceiling's really high we know superstars drive this league um, but also I'm not sure we try we've seen a team that has tried to do what Indiana has succeeded in doing in terms of their roster makeup and that They've got five guys, when healthy, that none of them would surprise you if they made the All-Star game next year, for example. And, mm. and so I think that makes them a really interesting dynamic. They, they, they don't have an MVP candidate, um, but they might have five guys who can make an All-Star game. And I, I think it would be fascinating if they can get healthy to see um, you know, the, that dynamic play out. Can you just go over, just in terms of this season, compared to the bubble? And you have experiences also with the, the WNBA bubble as well. Um, what has it been in terms of the players, in terms of travel, their morale? And then I believe even with, you know, again, with Doug McDermott, I referenced that podcast again. You know, he said, you know, you have those a couple of thousand fans, you know, in the arena. That's made a huge difference. Um, do you see that possibly increasing in terms of having more fans um, be in the arena? And how do you think if that is the case, that affects the team? In fact, um, if COVID cases go down and you see less restrictions and you get more more fans into the arena this year and, and helping this team make a um, playoff push? Well, I definitely think it's something that all home teams are missing. Look, it's been great to have 1,500 or so fans, but the reality is this is a building that seats 17,000 people. That's sure. not even 10% full. So it's yeah. great to have some of those fans in the building but in a normal environment i'll tell you I, I get the incredible privilege to sit on the floor on game nights and when it's a crowded the pacers are by no means the only team like this but when it's a crowded arena and a big game and it's close in the fourth quarter i mean it is loud the place feels like it shakes it is a massive home court advantage and even with 1500 fans you're just never going to get that and i think it's possible that you know that number continues to trickle up i don't know for sure but I would be surprised if we got to the point this year where you had anything resembling that. So I think that's a big storyline for every team, uh, but the Pacers especially. Indiana as a franchise has 31 consecutive um, seasons where they've had a winning record at home, which is really remarkable. And right now they're 7-9, and nine, so they're just below that mark right now. And I'm not sure, you know, if you look at the Pacers really since 2017, their home court advantage has been huge. It's kind of been the storyline of the team, like can they play about 500 on the road? and then continue to play great at home. And they haven't played great at home. And they've been uh, actually pretty decent on the road, which has been an interesting trend, I think. Um, and home teams are winning about 52% of games this year. So there is a home court advantage, but not a massive one. But I think it's something this team you know, has to figure out bef between now and the end of the year. Um, you know, you can't realistically be 500 at home and achieving the type of goals that you want to this season. Um, so... I think they've got to figure out, like, if you're not going to have 17,000 or even 10,000 fans in the building, 
how can you still turn that into enough of a home court advantage to where you're winning a lot more often than you're losing there? Um, that you're when you have you know long home stands that they can turn into big chunks of wins. And unfortunately, they that's something that has kind of been maybe a surprising Achilles heel to this season. But I think it's something ultimately that they'll get figured out. I'm not sure we're going to see the, the typical home court advantage this year that you normally see. But I think as the year goes on, like they've just played in an abundance of close games at home too. And, and been on the losing end of those more often than not. I think that is, is kind of a trend that will turn, especially as the year goes on. Um, and, and I'm not totally sure what the answer to that is. And I'm not even totally sure the players or the coaches do just because we've never experienced this before. Like this is such new ground for everybody dealing with this. But my sense is goes on home court advantage around the NBA creeps up just a little bit more and that the Pacers are able uh, – you know, to turn that into an advantage themselves. But um, I do think for them to have the type of success they want this year, they're going to have to have home court advantage be an advantage. And so far, yeah. uh, they're still trying to figure that out. You mentioned the uh, the depth of this team. I mean, especially uh, assuming TJ Warren and uh, Karis LeVert uh, can come back strong. Uh, do you think this team is to kind of wait and sit as you kind of maybe implied earlier on the talent that they have on this roster, or do you see this team being pretty active at the trade deadline? Hey, sorry, you started to cut out on some of that answer. I'm not sure if it's. My oh, sorry about that, Pat. I can um, tell it was something about the trade deadline, but I didn't catch the whole thing. Yeah. I, I was just asking, given the depth of this roster and you've got a lot of potential with Karis LeVert coming back, um, you know, you already made a big trade or uh, trading off Victor Oladipo. Um, do you see the Pacers as maybe content to sit back at the trade deadline and kind of see what they have with that talent on the roster once everyone comes? Yeah, I think that's probably the approach they take. I would be surprised if they were really active around the trade deadline. But I do think when you got Kevin Pritchard and a front office like this, um, it's an aggressive front office. Like they're turning over every leaf. Uh, who would have seen this that happened coming, right? Like Harris Levert trade came totally out of left field for all of us. And that's an example of you just never know. I think around the trade deadline, if can find the type of move that they feel like is going um, to make a long-term benefit, then I think all bets are off. I think they would make that trade, absolutely. I think they're still kind of thinking big picture with all of this. But especially when you consider the contract situation, I think it's going to be a lighter trade deadline for the Pacers. Now that Karis LeVert is in play, you've got uh, every single guy on your roster through this year and through next year. And most of them, I shouldn't say on the roster, I should say in the starting five, and most of the bench too, are now on timeline deals where – um, you, you're not worried about losing them in free agency next year and for most of the next couple of years. So they've been able to build now, I think, pretty close to what they were hoping for. And I tend to think a lot of the major movement is done. You never know. Um, but with, with just the timeline of a lot of these contracts that the Pacers have, I really think they want to see if they can get Levert healthy. They want to see if they can get warm. They want to see what that dynamic is like with all five of them on the floor because you can't even try to improve that until you know what it is. Um, and so you became a jump in a trade like the Pacers did in Houston, where um, maybe you make a move that big picture suits you. I would be surprised to see it. And the Pacers are, are pretty close, um, you know, to the luxury tax. So they don't really have a ton of money to play around with either. Uh, and, and they don't really have any bad contracts either. I think that's another just fascinating aspect of this team is the way they've been built. You would not look at a single player and say, 
guy's on a bad contract, that guy's on a bad deal. Um, so I, I mean, for all those reasons, I tend to think it's a lighter trade deadline, but you never know. Sometimes it's the years um, that you least expect that something can happen, like uh, the victory a month plus ago. Um, final question for you, Pat. Um, can you just discuss the uh, Miles Turner um, Venmo situation in terms of how he turned into one fan just kind of being negative and turned into a gesture um, for a positive cause? Sure. This has been a fun one um, to watch unfold the last few days days um you know I, I don't know all of the specifics of it because i wasn't happening or i wasn't watching it happen live but um apparently there was some fan who didn't like how miles played a few games in chicago and for some reason he felt like that entitled him to a hundred of miles turner's dollars which i'm not sure where he made that connection um but he sent him a venmo request and miles responded by sending him a penny for your thoughts <laughs> and so but then what happened was was something kind of fascinating and it's the it's the good power that social media has is a bunch of nba fans around the league just started sending miles a, a penny or two pennies and something more and then all of a sudden miles went into his venmo account and saw 250 bucks and was like wait a minute we can do good with this so he went to twitter and said, hey, uh, any money that you donate, I will pass along to the people in Texas. I will match that donate. And then uh, recently I've seen that I believe it's the Players Association has come to Miles and also said they will match that donation. So, uh, you, you know, for math here, if the fans donate $10,000, Miles will donate 10000 The Players Association will donate 10000 They'll get 30000 to the people um, in Texas, you know, who have, who have been going through a lot. Uh, a lot of challenges or so ago. Miles, who don't know, is from the Dallas area, and oh. he went, uh, you know, University of Texas. So he lived in Austin. So he's, uh, you know, in regular contact with those people down there. So Miles is somebody who's been so impressive. Really bigger picture since he got here. Like I, Miles Turner was drafted, and he had his introductory press conference. And in that introductory press conference, he announced an initiative called, um, which stands for We All Really Matter, do and still exists, um, but has to do with helping the homeless and creating, um, you know, uh, bags of, of items for homeless people, um, basic sanitary needs and, and, you know, things like energy and protein bars. Um, so this is something that Miles Turner has been involved with and an initiative that he has um, been heavily um, involved really his whole NBA career. Most recent example one is it's, it's been a fun one to watch. And I think it's still going. If, if you follow his social media channels, you can see exactly the but i believe he's just the same as his twitter account on venmo if anybody is listening and interested interested in donating um, i believe just original underscore or dash turner on venmo um, and you can find him and if you send him some money um, it'll go to the people in texas so uh tip of the cap to miles because he's as all nba players do they've got a lot going on right now and for him to um you know be thinking bigger picture of those who are less fortunate, I think, says a lot about it. Great, Pat. Thank you very much for joining us. Please uh, let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and then um, any other projects and things that uh, we should watch out for in 2021. Yeah, I really appreciate the time. I'm just at Pat Boylan Pacers on Twitter and social media, and we do obviously a bunch of Pacers-related content uh, that we share along there, including our podcast, which is the Sideline Guys, me and our TBA fan or a Pacers fan listening that will want to come uh, and check out our Indiana Pacers content, we would love to have you. And I've got information on my Twitter on where you can find all those things. But uh, I really appreciate the time here to talk with you guys, and, and best of luck with it. Much appreciated, Pat. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pat. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? 
Man, Justin, everything and nothing. Having a good weekend. How about you? What's up with you? Ah, nothing much. We're inching closer to the All-Star break, and we got word that the slam dunk competition and the three-point competition will be all part of this All-Star day. Um, So instead of the typical festivities of All-Star weekend, we're going to get it in all one um, fell swoop in in one, I guess, game per se. How do you feel about that? Yeah, not not unexpected. Um, That was kind of the the way it was billed a couple weeks ago. Um, and, you know, I, I guess the thinking is um, if, if we're concerned about people being together for long periods of time, might as well do all of this in one day rather than spread it out to two days. So I, I think it makes sense. And I know people have very mixed feelings about all this, but I, I think limiting it to one day is uh, a positive, no matter which side you fall on how you think it should be done. Like if, sure. if we're going to have it, get it done quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, just to take care of some housekeeping notes, I'd like to thank uh, Pat Boylan for joining the show. The interview you just heard, um, really awesome getting some insight on the Indiana Pacers and what their outlook's going to be the rest of the season, just because we don't hear a lot about them in the mainstream media, especially because of the after the Victor Oladipo trade. Um, it was just cool um, just to really get that insight. So um, it was really going to be a compelling story to see what they do in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think, you know, you and I were talking about it just a minute ago. I mean, just a really crafty, smart organization. So I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about that. Uh, We have some other exciting guests coming up for you guys in the coming week. I won't spoil too much about that, but just stay tuned to our social media and our YouTube channel. And of course, the podcast feed got to be there uh, for everything Hoopsology. Agreed. Um, so on today's show, we're going to get Matt's weekly trends. We're going to break down these um, all-star starters announced. Always a, a fun topic to discuss. Um, we're going to break down Draymond, Dr- Draymond Green's busy week, excuse me, um, <laughs> a lot um, in terms of him being in the news. And then we'll touch on DeMarcus Cousins. Um, looks like he's going to part ways with the Houston Rockets. Um, but first, Matt, you have your weekly trends going on in the league. Yeah, let's take a look at some trending teams. So we'll get right into it. And as you guys know or remember from previous episodes, if a team has won or lost three games in a row or more, we update on you guys on that every week on our show. So trending teams for this week, and this is as of Sunday, the 21st, the Nets in the East have won their last five. The Wizards, this might be... Maybe one of the few times, I I think this is the first time so far that they've trended in this direction. They've won their last four. The Bradley Beal-led Wizards and the Raptors have won their last three. So some new members to the positive trending teams in the East. Uh, On the downside, the Cavs have lost their last nine games. They're actually now second to last in the East below the Wizards. Um, so those are your trending teams in the East, in the West. We don't have any teams at the moment on a three game win streak or more. We have the Rockets. My Rockets have lost their last seven. The Kings have lost their last six. The Thunder and Timberwolves have lost their last three in some other notes real quick. Last night, the Lakers lost their finals rematch against the heat. Of course, without Anthony Davis, 96 to 94 in a close one there. And then in other NBA news, uh, along the lines of NBA history, Chris Paul 
has passed Oscar Robertson. There's a name that you know you're great if you pass that name. Chris Paul has passed Oscar Robertson for sixth place in all-time assists in league history. Next up on the list is Magic Johnson in fifth, oh, wow. and he's 253 assists at the moment of recording this from catching Magic Johnson. So those are our trends for this week. Yeah, there's a huge accolade. Chris Paul's career is going to be a very interesting discussion yeah. um, because nowadays, you know, titles are really focused upon and he has none. And he's had plenty of opportunities and, you know, has I hate to be a dad Debbie Downer, but, you know, you know how it goes when these discussions happen. Um, and he's, I mean, it just could be some scrutiny on him regarding that. But a huge accomplishment and something that I think NBA fans should totally respect as well. Um, man, let's Absolutely. hop into it and discuss the all-star starters. Um, this was announced always on TNT. Um, there's a big all-star um, push uh, this past Thursday. Um, Adam Silver was on Inside the NBA. They had their selections, so I'll just run them down here. Um, the Western Conference, um, Steph Curry of the um, Golden State Warriors. This is his seventh um, all-star selection. Um, we have Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks, his second all-star selection. We have LeBron James, his 17th All-Star selection. Um, and by the way, um, that is the third among his 17 selections in NBA history. That mm. is behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe Bryant. So Kareem has 19, Kobe has 18. Wow. And of course, LeBron, um, he is the leading scorer in NBA All-Star game history um, with 385 points. We'll see if he extends that. Uh, he wasn't too enamored about playing in his game, so... I will see how that goes. Um, and then also um, we have Nikolai Jokic of the um, Denver Nuggets, his third selection. Um, and by the way, he becomes the first Denver player um, to be voted um, since Carmelo Anthony um, mm. in the 2010-2011 season. Um, and then we have Kawhi Leonard of the Los Angeles Clippers, um, and he has been named um, a starter um, five times um, as an all-star. Um, and then we have the Eastern Conference. Um, this quickly, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, his fifth um, all-star selection of the Milwaukee Bucks. Bradley Beal, his third all-star selection. Um, and this has been his uh, first all-star start. Um, and we have Kevin Durant, um, 11th all-star selection. Um, pretty remarkable considering his injury. And we have Joel Embiid, his fourth all-star selection. Um, of course, Kevin Durant of the um um, Brooklyn Nets, and then Joel Embiid of the um, 76ers of, of Philadelphia, and you have Kyrie Irving. Somewhat of surprise considering just him mm -hmm. being absent, but a massive, um, I guess, selection in terms of the fans, his seventh all-star selection. Um, so very very interesting with Kyrie Irving. Um, this is um, voted as the all-star um, starter with three different franchises, the Cavaliers, um, Boston Celtics and uh, Brooklyn Nets. So, and by the way, um, similar to his teammate Kevin Durant, um, with him with the Thunder, um, Warriors and Nets as well. So, Matt, what do you make of this overall? Anything that surprised you, um, stands out to you? And what do you make of when these guys get out on the court? What kind of game will we see if these guys are motivated? Yeah, first thing I'd say is, just to get it out of the way, I don't see any surprises in the Western Conference. I, I think that is exactly uh, the list that you had, Justin. And I wanted um, Damian Lillard to be in that starting lineup, but 
uh, as I've said before, it's it's no surprise Luca with the numbers and the Mavs not being the worst team in the West or anything like that. It's it's no surprise to me that he's a starter there. He's incredible. What else can you say? So I think the West checks all the boxes. I, I take no issue with those selections. Um, in the East, yeah, it's interesting as as you brought up with Kyrie Irving and I, I think. The other guy who I had as a starter on that list was his teammate, James Harden. How much do you weigh him being in the West for the start of the year? How much do you weigh the way James Harden started the season and also the way he sandbagged it, let's be honest, with the Nets? It's true. Um, or I'm sorry, with the Rockets before being traded to the Nets. So, you know, I think you can you can argue either way. It's it's kind of a matter of personal preference. You can also say, you know, Kyrie Irving took a week off and just kind of pieced out on his team. Um, and, and that was his choice to do that. Uh, he, he just needed that mental break. Um, so, you know, I, I think you could kind of, um, you know, penalize either guy in terms of whether they're a starter or not as far as that goes. But in any case, I mean, the talent is there. They're both Harden and Kyrie Irving are uh, all-star starter caliber players. I don't think anyone would argue that. I, I guess my take would be if James Harden had started the year on the Nets from the beginning of the year, no drama at the gentleman's club or things like that. Yeah. Uh, I think we would see all three nets as starters. I think James Harden would have pushed Bradley Beal out of that starting lineup. Uh, but Bradley Beal leads the league in scoring. Personally, I, I find it a little bit weird to have an all-star starter that is on a team with as bad of a record as the wizards. Granted, they they've had a good week. I, I mentioned them earlier in the streaking teams they are trending up, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's a little strange, but as we all know, the all-star game is about numbers. So it makes sense. I'm not outraged about any of this. Um, that wouldn't be the way I would <laughs> assign my starting lineup, but all the guys that I'm mentioning in this conversation are definitely going to be on the all-star game. Did you have other, uh, insights about these starting lineups? Um, not too much as, as you mentioned, Matt, you know, the West match, what I had, I think, the East, it's a bummer. Maybe for Jalen Brown, I mean, who knows, right? You mentioned the James mm. Harden scenario. If, if, you know, James Harden is on there, then, you know, Brown and Bradley Beal probably have minimal chance of making the team. So I think overall, I like this list. I get what you're saying about Bradley Beal. I think I'm kind of conflicted. I think one side, I think he, it's, it's, I don't know. It's almost like pity on him. It's weird to say because he's leading the league in scoring, but I think people feel sorry for him just mm-hmm. in terms of the whole John Wall situation <laughs> and just what he's been through before in terms of like kind of getting robbed of making the all-star team. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not too outraged about this, even though I wouldn't have Kyrie Irving on this team just based on that week, um, no matter what the reason was, injury, you know, him to take a break, whatever. Um I, it's I time over, off. It's games missed. Yeah, right? it's, so it, that's where you have to in that framework. Exactly yeah. right. I mean, that's where you have to take it in terms of other guys being deserving. But am I outraged about this? Not too much. Um, I think it's going to be interesting in terms of. I believe it was Kevin Durant and LeBron James will be the captains um, of these two squads, and you'll have an open pool of players. So um, I misspoke earlier. I mean, these these won't be the lineups. These will be Team LeBron versus Team Durant, and um, they'll there'll be a pool of guys to pick. 
So I think that's going to be pretty interesting to see, okay, who's going to be on whose team. And really the excitement as well. I mean, once we get to that television special that we've seen in the past, especially with Durant and James, I don't know if they're going to be too excited to really pick their teams here and play in this in this, in this this game here um, compared to years past in which it is a spectacle. I mean, you have all the pomp and circumstance. Now it's kind of like, yeah, I have to pick my dudes, whatever, in a game that I don't care about. It's a waste of time, at least in LeBron James' eyes. And I'm sure Durant probably shares the same sentiments. So I think that's going to be interesting to see that, you know, TV special in regards to, you know, what these guys do in terms of their excitement level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the cat's already out of the bag on that. Most, yeah. most of the players, well, not, not every single player that is going to make the all-star team has been very vocal about not wanting to play, but several of your headline guys have been vocal about it. So, you know, I, I hope we see, Elam ending. I hope we see yep, elements in here yep. that can help uh, make this more entertaining uh, yeah. as far as that goes. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's going to be completely up to the players. I, I hope that, uh, you know, once they get into Atlanta and uh, the teams are picked and the ball is rolled out on the court, I, I hope we see something different, but you know, only, only time will tell, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, did you have any other thoughts, Matt, before we move on to Draymond Green? No, no. I've, I think um, it, it makes a lot of sense that the vote turned out this way. Uh, sure. Because a lot of times when you are uh, a casual fan, um, you're looking at that stat line and, you know, I mean, the number 35 points per game. And, and just to be clear, I'm not hating on Bradley Beal. He's having – uh, an amazing season as, as far as those numbers he's putting up. It's just unfortunate that it's, it's happening on a team uh, that is really after that Russell Westbrook trade has, has really underperformed expectations. I mean, has, has yeah. basically laid an egg this season. Yeah, uh, but sure. I, I don't, you know, certainly the entirety of the blame for that does not go on Bradley Beal. Um, and, and I also want to say just, I commend Bradley Beal for being adamant that he's not entirely convinced he wants to be traded either. He, hmm. he hasn't been uh, dramatic about his team's performance. Uh, I think he's been very straightforward with everything. So in, in many ways, even though, because I want to see team success, I would have my starters differently in so many ways because of how he's been this season. I'm really happy for him to be a starter. So let me just add that sure. so that people don't think I hate yeah, Bradley I Beal it. or something. No. <laughs> yeah. They're tripping if they think that. Um, let's move on to Draymond. Then he's had a very eventful week. Um, oh my, yes. Now <laughs> Spicy it's kinda, Draymond. It's almost hilarious compared to other guys that you know we watched in our childhood. I mean, Draymond might be somewhere in the middle of the pack. <laughs> but considering the time that we were in, he's considered a, this kind of controversial player. It's interesting, mm. nevertheless. Mm -hmm. But um, for first, let's get to Monday night. This past Monday, um, the Golden State Warriors played the Cleveland Cavaliers. And um, Draymond Green is on the trade block. So the Cavaliers decided to sit him. Um, Andre Drummond. And, right? oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Andre Drummond. My bad. Sorry. Um, no, Andre good. Drummond. Um, and... Draymond Green basically went on a, I, would, I guess a rant. He was very fired up, very passionate. Um, I'm not going to read you the full thing because it's it's on social media if you want to go check it out. But I do want to read kind of this last part. 
Um, this is regarding um, Harrison Barnes and DeMarcus Cousins of last year. Um, and just get your thoughts overall on this entire situation because I think he makes a lot of good points. And I want to kind of, just before I read this, address him going on this rant and then just having the right to really say anything. And I bring that up because of Charles Barkley because he was on Bill Simmons' podcast fairly lately. And he pointed to the Golden State Warriors not being, you know, a top team in the Western Conference and that loses you the right to really say these things just based on your record. So I want to get your thoughts as well. But first, just reading this, this is kind of the second half of what he had to say, quote, um, and we're seeing situations of Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench, Green said, or DeMarcus Cousins finding out he's traded in an interview after the All-Star game, and we continue to let this happen. But I got, the, but I got fine for stating my opinion on what I thought should happen with another player, but teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys, we're not playing you, and yet we're, and we're have to stay professional. So I agree with Draymond in this situation, I have always been on the side of players and being really confused as to why they're being fined in the first place. Not about this, but about this refs calls anyway. I never understood that. Players and coaches. I don't buy the reason of it, oh, it challenges the legitimacy of the game or, well, that's you're challenging it in terms of it being fixed. That never made any sense to me. But in terms of the situation, I think he's right. I think, you know organizations just get carte blanche in terms of sitting players and treating them any kind of way. And, you know, he mentioned in the first part of his rant in terms of James Harden, you know, he got annihilated and we, we were hard on him. And I think a lot of that criticism on James Harden was rightfully so. I think there's a limit in terms of not necessarily play, but I think a minimum in which you can reach being a professional at the same time, you know, him wanting a trade overall, if he, was a spectacular player and still had the same stats and showed up on practice. He still get got killed anyway. I mean, he still would have gotten the same criticism in my opinion. So I think Draymond has a lot um, of good points in his rant um, that he went on. I wonder where it goes from here. If it's just, Hey, he doesn't want to get off his chest and life moves on. Or is he going to take this to the players association and really made this a point as to organizations, you know, treating their players better in this kind of trade scenario. So what are your thoughts on this, Matt? Do you think Draymond had the right to say these comments? Do you agree with them? Or do you think he's um, kind of misguided here in what he had to say? Well, he certainly has the right to say whatever he wants. I, I don't know if he wound up being fined for these comments or not. I, I'm not sure I would suspect I would suspect probably not because he wasn't – it was kind of just a rant about the league in general. It's not mm. like he was going after an official or a specific GM or something like that. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't agree with Draymond. And I, I think there, there is a lot of confusion um, in this because Draymond brings up a lot of stuff. He also he later in the rant brings up Kyrie Irving and his mental health and he more directs, at least in my opinion, that criticism was directed towards the media. So there's kind of these like three elements in Draymond's rant, but he's, make no mistake about it, he's targeting his anger at teams and franchises and how it's a different standard for them. Uh, I mean, first thing I'll say is he's right that there is a double standard. Um, I, I don't always think that this is as 
negative of a thing as what he's projecting. Like, for example, when it, it seems like a ridiculous scene for Drummond to go back, change into his street clothes, and then sit during this game, the reason the team is doing that is to protect Drummond because if he gets injured during this game, the thinking is then maybe that trade falls through. The team is protecting their interest in terms of, um, you know, his, his trade value and his health on his transition into his new team. Um, what, I'll, what I'll also say is that these off-the-court comments for, for one, one reason. I mean, it should, it should be mentioned that Draymond basically said, and I don't remember the exact quote, so forgive me, but Man, Devin Booker, come play with us in Golden State. He said that on a TNT broadcast. Uh, and that's why he was, he was fined. Um, players like James Harden, uh, they can make trade requests in private, and, and it's all good and well. And the team has no obligation to trade them necessarily. But like, for example, in the case of James Harden, they could have, you and I talked about it, they could have hung on to him for another year, two years for the length of his contract. He wouldn't be happy. He would probably, um, you know, continue kind of playing 50% like he was towards the last week or so there in order to uh, power his way to another team. But they traded him because this is a business relationship and I think they don't want that perception as well of being a franchise that's going to, you know, be uh, petty with players and, and treat them that way. Um, so, but the the thing is, when statements are made in public by players, it can really affect the value that teams can get um, out of trades. Like it, it may be that you go from James Harden in, in a different hypothetical situation, you go from James Harden going to the nets for the assets, the the haul that they got from that trade, depending on what happens on the outside here to maybe James Harden is on the Orlando magic for much less of a return. So I I think that's why things are operating differently. Uh, Now, definitely I I think it's clear that Draymond isn't happy about this. Obviously that's, that's the whole point of his rant. And and a lot of people feel that way. And, and I get that. Um, I do tend to side with the team has this double standard in place uh, in order to protect the assets that they're getting for the trade. And I I don't think that there should be this sense that the Cavs were trying to like shame Andre Drummond by sitting him during that game or or shame Harrison Barnes if he's uh, about to get traded. Uh, They are simply protecting that player from, from being hurt. Um, so, so I don't know. I don't line up exactly with, uh, what Draymond is saying here, but can you speak more to, uh, kind of the side of, you know, player empowerment and, uh, cause I, I mean, in my opinion, um, there's still, even though these guys are 50, 50 partners, there's still a bit of an employer employee relationship here, uh, in the league. And I, I do wonder, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, like when LeBron has the option of owning his own team, if that's something he wants to do, you know, I, I do wonder if um, things will change and more players owning more teams will lead to some sort of change like that. Um, I think so. I think you're already seeing more of a player empowerment element. 
I think communication is important, and that's where I'll side with Draymond the most. You know, with the whole Demarcus Cousins situation, like you would think the organization would communicate with um, the player first before it gets out to the media. You don't. We never mm-hmm. want to know in a tweet or on Sports Center that you're being traded, and that's that's a theme that you know Barkley talked about. You know, I believe it was on Inside the NBA or maybe on the Bill Simmons podcast. I can't remember, but he has mentioned that you know you find out being traded. Shaq, he mentioned that specifically. You know, he found out not through the media, and I think it really the only he said the only time that he was let know by the organization that he was being traded was Steve Kerr. That was the only time. So to wow. me, there that is, I think, clearly unprofessional. That makes, I mean, I thought I agree. that doesn't make sense. You just tell the guy you're being traded goodbye. I mean, I don't know how hard that is just to tell the guy that's the case. I mean, you're not going to see him again. What's the point? So at least, you know, as an employee of your team. So I think with Draymond, he, just, he speaks for the players. I, I understand oh, yeah. where you're coming from, Matt. Um, I can see both sides of it. I mean, from an organization, like you're protecting the trade, you're protecting assets, so you're setting him. But at the same time, I'm like, the guy plays basketball every night, so you're saying he's fragile? Is it is it a psychological thing? He can't handle the pressure? So I think it kind of cuts both ways. Um, but I kind of feel you, Matt, in terms of the organization. They're trying to protect um, that, that trade that they want to do. So overall, I don't know. I think... My thing with Draymond, if he wants to really see things happen, then he needs to be involved, you know, as with the president of the Players Association and challenge Agreed. Chris Paul for that title. Um, if not, then I don't know what else he can do. Well, they have so like I, 11 vice presidents. Yeah. He can't get one of those I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he should try harder. Um, no, I'm anything? with you, yeah. though. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. You're 100% right as far as communication goes. Yeah. I mean, you know, think of, of ourselves in our own lives. If, if our employer, uh, like, let's say I got transferred to, uh, I don't know, Utah uh, mm-hmm. to work. And <laughs> I, I found out about this on a company release on Twitter right. or something, you know, <laughs> right. that, that would be terrible. And, yeah, and I do think it's, it's basic decency, certainly for that type of communication. I, I, I would say really sit down face to face and let them know, or if it's happening that quickly, then, you know, get on the phone with them as, as quickly as possible. But yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think you are, seeing uh less than stellar management habits if if these players if it's more common than not that these players aren't are being notified um you know i guess it's it's easy to to pick on owners it's it's easy to punch up i i tend to see that trend a lot like in a lot of the comments reading about this whole situation and things like that um but i i do think there is a rhyme and reason to some of these double standards that exist but um, but absolutely like communication, just talking yeah. to someone that that's a basic thing where I a hundred percent agree with you as far as that goes. Um, so there is that part of the equation. Did you, did you want to focus on that? Do you want to get to the other <laughs> part of Draymond's kind of not so best week here, I guess, in terms <laughs> of the, the media? Um, well, I guess the, the last thing I'll say about the rent yeah, specifically, absolutely. and this is just real quick. Um, I, I think a lot of the anger that he he directs in this rant is misplaced on ownership and should be directed at the media. Uh, like, I, I want to go back to that Kyrie example just real quick. 
for that week that Kyrie took off, I think the Nets handled that pretty well. And and please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. I think uh, if anything, you and I talked about, you know, Kyrie wasn't really communicating with them a whole lot. Steve Nash didn't know what was up. Um, he just kind of told them, like, I don't feel like playing on that Wednesday night that it happened. Uh, and then and then he was out for a while. Uh, I don't I don't think the Nets really like punish Kyrie for that or anything along those yeah. lines. I think they tried to be as compassionate and understanding yeah. as possible. And I, I just want to get that point out across because everyone is quick to rip on teams. I, I think they were pretty understanding in, in that situation. And, you know, there was all this talk about maybe Kyrie should retire from basketball that week. There, there was all kinds sure. of talk. Stephen A said, Stephen A yeah. Smith said he should retire, retire yeah. now, Kyrie. Um, obviously nobody wanted that to happen, at least if, if that was something forced and not what he wanted to do. Um, I, I think the people contributing to maybe stress on, on that end was the media and just speculation of course, having things to talk about on shows. I mean, we, we talked about it on our show. We weren't, I don't think all that harsh on Kyrie, but, um, you know, so, so I do wonder like, if you and I could sit down and get Draymond on the phone and talk about like, how, how do you see Twitter from your view as a player? Like I would, I would love to know those things. How do you see, you know, be reporters, et cetera. Um, do you think that this is contributing to the problem that you're talking about in these negative perceptions of players? Um, and, and kind of what is the weight of that? Yeah. Um, and, and look, I know I've, I've been like pro owner, pro team, show right now maybe there's bad ownership there's bad management at one point draymond said in that rant um organizations never get destroyed about this stuff i would disagree i mean you and i have talked about the knicks uh, i've talked about it in in that interview with paul nepper uh what happened yep. since the 90s knicks true. he was very clear it's it's an organizational thing so yeah i i think there is some level of exaggeration but also, that's that's why it's such a fun rant to watch. It's because yeah. Draymond is emotional. He he really believes it. So I apologize for ranting. Let's go to the second half of of the week. Unless I'm sorry, did you have anything to add to that? I didn't. No, other than that, when he retires, he'll make a good successor for Charles Barkley. So oh yeah, on yeah. inside the NBA. Hundred um, so, percent. Yeah. So as at the recording of this podcast, we're recording this on February 21st. So February 20th, Saturday, the Warriors played the Charlotte Hornets. Pretty close game. Um, uh, Steph Curry is out with an illness. Hopefully it's he's all right and it's not COVID-related. <laughs> it's so funny. Like with illnesses before, it's like, oh, guy ate some bad Chinese food. See you later. Or he, he wants to not play it. But now you're taking the illness pretty seriously. So when I saw saw that, I was like, oh, geez, I hope he doesn't have COVID. But mm. hopefully he's okay. Um, um, besides that note, um, they played the Hornets. Golden State had the lead, 198, 10 seconds to go. Um, there was a jump ball at uh, midcourt between <laughs> Brad Wanamaker and LaMelo Ball. Um, basically, on the jump ball, neither player got control. Um, basically, Draymond came charging in to poke it away. Um, Gordon Hayward grabbed the ball, falling to the floor, and referees determined that he was able to call a timeout before Dr- Green dove to the floor and tried to force a jump ball on his own. Green um, <laughs> then got angry at the officials um deeming that a timeout and not another tie-up um and he picked up quick two quick technicals and got tossed from the game basically set up the um ending with um terry rosier and that was another issue too in terms of that he 
committed a dribbling violation, but just focusing <laughs> on just the um, main thing here. And I think, look, this game means, I think, nothing in the overall picture. The Warriors aren't going to win the title. They're going to probably be in the play-in game. I think in terms of consequences, who cares? Um, but I will say with Steve Curry, he said that Draymond crossed the line in terms of picking up those two technicals. Um I guess I want to ask you, Matt, and if you want to comment about the game, feel free. But my mindset goes to maybe next season once um, Clay Thompson comes back and mm. when the Warriors are a natural contender. With Draymond infamous, infamous for, you know, costing the Warriors a championship for his mm-hmm. um, anger. Is this a thing where this might come up again in, in terms of this guy controlling his anger in closing seconds of the game? And not only that, having mechanisms that Steve Kerr being like, look, this guy's a hothead, you know, Steph Curry, this guy, this guy, you mean when you see him angry, run to him immediately and just, you know, push him away. Like if he has to fight Steve, if he has to fight Steph Curry, so be it. Like making sure this guy is just, when he, you see him get angry, making sure he's sure he doesn't pick up a technical because that proves to be detrimental. Him, A, giving the other team free points and B, him being off, off the court. So do you think this has kind of long-term consequences in terms of Draymond Green not being able to, you know, not learning his lesson and keeping his cool? Man, uh, Draymond Green's a hothead. And yeah, it it, <laughs> it's, it's happened plenty of times before. We, we've had examples of this in the past. I think when it happens on the biggest stage, which is the NBA Finals, that infamous Cavs finals victory where they were able to rally back uh, Draymond Green um, famously kicking LeBron between the legs after LeBron in a taunting manner let's be fair uh, walked over Draymond Green Um, Draymond didn't like that picked up that um, technical foul in in that scenario uh, and missed the next game because of being suspended so there's a history of this even on the greatest stages, even in the playoffs. I mean, there were clashes between him and Steven Adams, uh, the series before that also led to that suspension. Um, so this is a guy who, in spite of and Draymond's a basketball genius. Let's, let's not get it twisted. He is a, a floor general, especially on the defensive end. I mean, he really is a huge contributor to the warrior success in this era um, of the 2010s and, and now beyond. So give credit where credit is due, but this is um, his his Achilles heel, so to speak. He can lose his temper. They did push him away from those refs in this Hornet game. Uh, and he, it, it took, I, I felt personally that the refs were pretty restrained as far as waiting to call that second technical. But then you just see him, barking over his teammates at the at the referees and uh it it just kind of all unraveled from there so i do think this is a a concern with draymond but i think the good of draymond far outweighs these scenarios like you said in the grand scheme of things uh, a regular season game against the hornets is no big deal uh they still have a winning record to this point credit to them they're still hanging out in the eighth seed in a very competitive west um and there, there's been a history of fighting between Steve Kerr and Draymond Green. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess that's not a, a wonderful thing to say, but that also um, makes me think that, you know, this, this is going to be water under the bridge 
very soon. This is these guys have been under much more pressure than this year. And I think they're going to be fine, but I don't know. What are your thoughts? Is this um, a bigger fatal flaw than, than I'm considering? I think it could possibly be. I think there needs to be, there needs to be a mechanism in place where if he loses his school, it get him off the court. I've seen <laughs> it with like DeMarcus cousins. Who we'll talk about in a second where, you know, he gets really angry and you see the players gather around him saying like, Hey, you know, just ch- chill out. Take, take a yeah. chill pill. And I just, Breathe. I don't know. I think with Draymond, it needs to be the, the same type of uh, TLC involved. Um, again, I think, you know, he's had a bad couple of weeks just considering this. And then, you know, him trying to hit that half court shot to win the game. Like this has been a bunch of things happening all at once, but ultimately we know what Draymond Green brings to the Warriors. That's not in question. Um, one thing I do want to ask you is um, Charles Barkley. He was on with Bill Simmons. And he's basically saying, and I don't know if it's one of those things where, like, do he really do his homework? I mean, he was saying, like, if you're last in the standings, do you have the right to really um, go on rants and really state your opinion to the media? Um, and with the Warriors, like you said, Matt, I mean, they're the AC. They're a playoff team at the moment. They're not the Timberwolves. No disrespect to um, the Timberwolves and our past guest, Dane Moore. But I think... To me, I don't necessarily think your record matters too much if you have a point to make. I mean, even though you, we may disagree, I don't know. I think it's kind of – Draymond has a – he's a champion in this league. He's in, Right, you know, exactly. I believe – he's, he's been an all-star, right, Draymond? Or no? Has Draymond Green been an all-star even as a reserve? Oh my I thought goodness. he has at least we'll have once. To Google this. <laughs> um, let me check and see. Um, I would guess yes, once or twice, just yeah. by name pedigree. <laughs> three, three time all, three time all star. There we so, go. Thank but you. But my point <laughs> of finding that out is, he has standards uh, standing in this league. Whether the Warriors are last, if they're the laughing stock of the league, or whether they're first place, he has a right to state his opinion. He's not some rookie here, you know, from some random college. He has a right to state his opinion, rightly or wrongly. So, I don't understand how. I thought that was disrespectful on that part, just to hate on a guy for having an opinion. Um, but I think with Draymond overall, I think this is a thing to watch out for because I don't see him not losing his cool ever again. This is going to happen in the future. So and this by is the way, to watch and these these rants these these issues were separate. I mean, I think yeah. the oh sure the rant that we discussed in detail about player treatment and things like that. That happened on last Tuesday, yeah. whereas this game was just on Saturday night. Just Absolutely. Last night as, yeah. as on this recording. So There's it's no not like he no. got all his steam off on that rant. He was still yeah. uh, heated in game over, over a different thing. Yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right about the, the respect and the clout that Draymond Green has earned in this league. I mean, he's, he's been described, I think, best as the heart of those Warriors title teams. Mm -hmm. He's not the guy that was making a ton of the three-point shots that that team is so well-known for, but he's the guy that was facilitating a lot on passing, uh, finding those crafty ways to be effective on offense, and then also floor general on defense, like I mentioned earlier. Agreed. So, yeah, you're right. Barkley is... um, I, I don't know. He's unrelatable to me with with that take, especially given uh, the rings plural that Draymond has. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Anything else you wanted to um, mention about Draymond before we just touch on Demarcus Cousin? You know, th- there's drama 
on these warrior teams every single year that Draymond has been a part of them. We had like famously the, the fights between Draymond and Kevin Durant, which ultimately may have been one thing that caused Kevin Durant to leave um, and, and go his own way. But there's also a big track record of success. And this team, if, if Curry is healthy and if this roster is healthy, I mean, even, even as a seven seed, this team is, not a team you want to see in the first round just because of the experience, even though you and I are in agreement that they're not title contenders this year. Yeah, agreed. Um, I don't think we have to spend too much time on this um, just yeah. because he hasn't had a, a massive impact. But um, there are rumors that um, DeMarcus Cousins um, will not be a Houston Rocket anymore due to the organization cutting ties with him. That comes of Sham Shoshurna of The Athletic. Um, this is of him. Um, basically, the Rockets just guaranteed the remainder of Cousins' contract for the rest of the season a day ago. So that's good for him uh, in terms of money. Um, he basically um, been averaging about 10 points, 9.6 points a game, seven rebounds, two assists in 25 games. Um, so not an offensive powerhouse, but certainly his rebounds are decent. Um, but it looks like they want to go more small, and that's the primary reason why they want to get rid of him. Um, it looks like um, the Raptors and the Los Angeles Lakers are two teams that come to mind just in terms just because of Anthony Davis being injured. Um, what do you make of this real quick? Is this a situation in which the Rockets just want to make an adjustment? Do you when you mentioned earlier them going on this massive losing streak, them just trying to make a, a adjustment it's season, or do you think this will reflect badly on DeMarcus Cousins, him you know being let go from another team? Yeah, it's definitely a situation where I wonder if there are things happening behind the scenes that we're not privy to, um, and I'm sure there's there's some of that, and, and I don't know exactly what that is, but it does seem to make logical sense that the Rockets want to go younger, they want to go with the youth movement, and they want to open up minutes for Christian Wood, who would have been an all-star reserve had he not sprained his ankle the past few weeks. I don't know if that, that's going to happen at this point. Uh, numbers are certainly there, but he's... Uh, been missing time, of course, and, and the Rockets are on a big losing streak right now. Um, yeah. It makes sense to me. I Personally, I hope uh, DeMarcus goes to the Raptors uh, as opposed to the Lakers. I just think he's going to get more playing time and have a bigger impact on the Raptors if the Raptors are interested in him as a prospect. I mean, he, he had a lot of ups and downs this year. He filled in as a great backup center at times for Christian Wood. He also had games where he started, he scored, I mean, like he had a crazy line, like 28, 16 and five or something like that. One of his games. So there are still flashes of brilliance here, but um, you know, at this point in time, it's it's hard for me to imagine we'll see like all-star level DeMarcus Cousins again. Um, as someone, you know, who, who roots for the Rockets, I, it's a little bit of a bummer that you had the John Wall boogie connection and yeah. we're getting that broken up. That's the, the part that kind of bums me out is you have these guys who went to college together, two good friends, and now they're not going to uh, get to play together anymore. But we had it for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, a little bit of a bummer. Hopefully, um, DeMarcus Cousins gets picked up. It's good timing, too. And, you know, we're right near the all-star break. and get a rest and get, you know, ready for the second half of the season. Um, I believe that's going to wrap up our show, man. Anything else you wanted to add before we say goodbye this week? Just as I said earlier, keep posted to our social media and our YouTube channel. we got a lot of great stuff coming up. Thank you as always uh, for listening, you guys. And, and thank you as always, Justin, for your time and your work on this podcast. Always a pleasure.
Yeah, likewise, man. Thank you very much. And we have a lot of interviews that are on our feed now. Um, of course, we have Paul Nepper, um, the author of The Knicks of the 90s, a great interview done by Matt. Um, have my Thank interview you, up with uh, Dane Moore, um, host of the Dane Moore podcast. And um, he is very familiar with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, we have Vince Miracle of HoopBalls.com for your gambling needs. We have Adam Taylor of CelticsBlog.com. We have our sneaker series. Um, really, really great insight in terms of sneakers. We have um, Zion Olajade, um, Olajede, excuse me, of Complex Sports. Um, we have Casey Kiernan of AM Hoops, Chris Manning of NBA 2K, uh, Blake Murphy of the Athletic Toronto, um, Eric Woodyard, who was recently on um, The Jump with Rachel Nichols. He was on it recently. Um, check him out. Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report. Um, so lots of great interviews covering all your basketball needs. As always, we're available on social media, so um, Facebook, Twitter, um, we're on YouTube as well. Matt does a great job getting all that content up. So if you want this uh, from a visual standpoint, we're on there. All our interviews are on there as well. And, of course, we're available on your podcasting platforms um, that you want to listen to. So for uh, Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. Please drop us an email, hoopsologypod at gmail.com if you want to just email us or if you have a question. Um, and we'll see you next time. Have a great start to your week. Peace.